You know, when it comes to Thanksgiving dinner, I'm not going to say anything that's novel here, anything that's innovative, um, but I, it's a truth. It, it, it seems to be not commensurate. Uh, that means that you spend eight hours, many people spend eight hours or more, sometimes days, uh, preparing the Thanksgiving dinner, right? And then we waffle through it in 17 minutes. That just seems awful, doesn't it? I mean, I, 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 how many people in this room actually spend days getting ready for Thanksgiving? Yes? Yes? Look at that. All over the room. Yes. And, and don't you feel like we should slow down when we're eating it? It seems like we should. Uh, life is that way. You know, like stoplights. There's one right here in the, at the corner of Honoré and Clark that... You sit and sit and sit and sit and sit, and like you're the fourth car back, and it lets three cars through. I'm like, see, that's not right. It should be like, as long as you sit, that's how long the light should be green for, don't you think? Disney rides are this way. My goodness, how well we know this. You stand in a line in hot cement, about 90,000 degrees outside, for an hour, and the ride is two and a half minutes. You know, I like to throw a penalty flag somewhere. I mean, like, this is not... I think that it should be the same amount of time invested as the same amount of time you get out. So if it takes you eight hours to make Thanksgiving dinner, we should take eight hours to eat it. Don't you think for those who have labored on it? If I'm sitting in a light for three minutes, I want a three-minute green light. Now, it would probably be a longer wait than that. And if I'm in Disney, I definitely want If I'm standing in line for 45 minutes, I want a 45-minute ride. The problem is I'd be standing in line for four days if it's the ride's 45 minutes. It seems like the spiritual life is this way especially when it comes to Thanksgiving, that it's not quite equal. If I had a big scale today, I, I would say the, the, the weight that we put on, that, that we, we emphasize when we're in trouble, those foxhole prayers, like, oh, God, please help me out. That, that amazing energy, if there was some meter that could measure that, that effort and that emphasis and that energy that we put into those moments, like, oh, please, those please help me moments. We had something very personal happen in our family about six to eight weeks ago. We got a, we got a report. It's like, oh, God, please help. This is not good. And, and just, you know, that angst. And then when God answers the prayer, he's got four options. Yes, no, maybe, or wait. Those are his options, regardless of how he answers. That the, the thanks that comes after it is often not equal to the energy and effort that we've put into begging him for an answer. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that in my own life. So we have this over here like, oh, oh that angst. And then, like, hey, thanks a lot. Maybe, right? And what God may be looking for is that same amount of energy and effort when it comes to, oh, thank you, God. If it took eight hours to pray, then maybe eight hours of thanks. Today we're going to look at a, at a guy that we don't see very often or we don't talk about very often in the scripture and this, he highlights this, this kind of balancing or sometimes the lack of balancing with our prayers of, of asking compared to our prayers of thanksgiving. His name is Hezekiah. In fact, he is one of the kings in the, the timeline, the history of Israel. Now, I'm going to go into a little bit of history here, and I know for some people, like, okay, it's kind of boring to, to do a little history, but I'll remind you that Jesus said to love him, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And I think it's important for us at times, okay, let me engage here and help us understand more clearly 
the scripture so they just don't turn into a bunch of sayings and, and whatnot, that we really frame it out and get a context. Well, see, Hezekiah was a one of many kings. When you look at the history of, of Israel, the, the, the nation that God focused on, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, they had Moses and Joshua and they conquered, the Joshua conquered the promised land, then they won the promised land and they were governed by what was called theocracy. It wasn't a democracy where everybody voted. It wasn't a monarchy where they had a king. It was a theocracy where God was king. And they had people, human beings, men that were, that guided and led the, the people. They were called judges. Um, some were prophets. And so they had these men who were leading them spiritually. But all the other countries started to have kings, and so that's, unfortunately, at times, God's people, they, they want to be like the world and say, we want a king like everybody else had, and God said, not a, it's not a good idea, but they insisted, and so they got a king. And so you can almost look at the, the second half of the Old Testament, and it's all about the history of the kings and, and how they were ruled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There were some some really great kings, like David and um, Solomon 1.0. Uh, 2.0 didn't go so great at the end of his life, but the early part of Solomon. So there were some really great kings. Josiah was one of them. Unfortunately, you, you could almost count them up, and the, and the majority of them were not so great. In fact, some of them were really bad. You might recognize the name Ahab and his lovely wife Jezebel. They, they go on the bad column. They go on the naughty list. They didn't get on the nice list. And there are a lot of them that were just totally godless, and they, they, because they were leaders, they would lead the people away from God. And because people follow leaders. And so they would follow them away from God. And then there was a time when, by the time Hezekiah came, the king before him had just totally denigrated the sacred space of, of the, the worship area. It was called the temple. And they had erected statues and, and poles of, that were built to gods that didn't even exist. And just the whole thing deteriorated. And so by the time Hezekiah came on the scene, in our language of today's culture, we, he was a millennial. Millennials are roughly 18 to 35 years old. He was 25 years old. He was in, in uh, you know, relation to the span of human life. He was pretty young, 25. And when he came on the scene, he automatically said, man, this whole thing is a wreck. We've got to, we've got to change things up. We've got to reform this place. So he cleaned out the temple. He just, he returned back to the word of God and said, man, we've got to straighten things out. So therefore, this is a story of what I'm going to call good king, not Wenceslas. I don't even know what a Wenceslas is, but good king Hezekiah. He was one of the good guys. In fact, we're going to read here in just a second that not only was he one of the good kings, we're told that he was the best king. Watch this. We begin today in Second Chronicles chapter 31. If you have your Bible with you, you can track along. We're going to toggle a little bit between Second Chronicles and and Second Kings. In the Bible, there are sometimes there uh, where God will give us a rerun of something that's happened already. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, is that way. It's a rerun of some things that have happened. A recap. And we see it from a different angle. It's pretty cool. Hebrews in the New Testament is that way. It looks back and gives us a rerun. The, the, the Gospels are that way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, they look at a, something, the same events at times from different angles. And, and in this case, uh, Second King, or King, the Book of Kings and Chronicles does the same thing. So we're gonna see Hezekiah from a, from a couple of different angles. 
Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 21. Speaking of good King Hezekiah and every work that he, Hezekiah, undertook in the service of the house of God, the temple, where he reformed and cleaned it out. And, or, or I should say cleaned it up. There's a better, and didn't clean it out. He cleaned out the bad stuff, built uh, the good stuff. And in accordance with the law and the commandments. In other words, he went back to the word of God, used it as the map, and he straightened things out. To seek his God, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 18, same guy, different angle, 2 Kings chapter 18, we're told that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, here it is. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So not only was he good king Hezekiah, he was best king Hezekiah. And then when I'm reading, I'm like, well, how about David? I thought David was like the best king. But you'll notice in the scripture verse, among the kings of Judah, not just the the entire nation of Israel, but just in this area. Okay, here comes the history lesson. So put on your thinking cap for just a few minutes. I brought a map with me today. Of course, David's son was Solomon. Solomon's son was Rehoboam. Rehoboam came along. And he made a bad decision, and the nation of Israel was divided, much like the the United States of America was divided in the 1800s at the time of the Civil War. There was north and south. When you read the Old Testament, especially the second, the Old Testament, especially the second half, you'll notice that the nation of Israel is divided. There's northern Israel and southern Israel, and so the southern Israel is, is Judea or, or, or um, Judah, and the upper uh, 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 territory is Samaria. And there came a point where the people in northern uh, Israel said, you know what, I know the temple is in Jerusalem. I know that's where God put the longitude and latitude, and that's where it's supposed to be and all that. But you know what, we're going to create our own space. We're going to create our own worship space. And so we're going to create a temple up here in Samaria. Not good. See, they, they're, they're thinking independently, and therefore there was a, a divide much like in the Civil War where, you know, South Carolina, I believe they kicked it off and said, hey, I think we'll just do our own thing. And like, wait, well, wait, we're kind of, you know, all together. And then things just kind of unraveled and it, it got kaflui. So when when we're told that uh, uh, Hezekiah, I forgot who I'm talking about this morning. When we're talking about Hezekiah, good king Hezekiah, he there was no better king in Judah. Remember, that's what it said, in the southern part and so the, he was really in the, cent, the the heartbeat of the nation of Israel. It remained the heartbeat. You remember the, we call Christ the Lion of Judah because through his heritage, this is where he was born. This is the area he came from, etc. And the Samaritans, and as you see in the New Testament, were not often liked by those in the south. So four years into his reign, and, and so here's Hezekiah in the southern part of the country. Four years into his reign, there came knocking on the door... A country, and we'll 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 look in the. If you look about two o'clock, you'll see Assyria up in the right. They became a, a very powerful empire, and and four years in, so now he's only twenty nine years old. Assyria came down to northern Israel, and they just besieged them for three years. They kept attacking them to the point that seven years in, now he's thirty two years old. That the scriptures say of northern Israel that Assyria took it and deported them. This is called the exile in, in the, in the Old Testament. 
In other words, came down, hassled them, fought them for three years, and then when when Hezekiah, he's still in the south, and he's still in rule, it took him out. Now, if you're Hezekiah, you could think, well, I'm, I'm pretty cool, I'm safe, you know, it's it's southern, I'm in the south, and these guys are north, but that would be no different then ISIS coming in the, you know, at the Virginia line and above, they took the United States and we're like, well, that's not a problem because it's not us. Of course not. We would think, man, they're getting close. There's something happening here. I, I got to be on, a, you know, on alert. And so he, he was. And, and there are a lot of uh, indications that, you know, of course it made him nervous. Now, if, if you look at this, what was happening here, then 14 years into his uh, into his reign, Assyria then, of course, comes knocking on Hezekiah's door. And he brings all the armies, a vast army, against only this little portion. Now all the, all the people in northern Israel, they're gone except the impoverished people. They left them. They, they took the people that were laborers and the thinkers and the innovators. They took them all out. So the northern Israel is, is pretty much just laid waste. And now they're going to come down with uh, hundreds of thousands of, of, of soldiers. And now they're knocking on Hezekiah's door. And this is where we're at. History lesson over. They send messengers to say things that I'm even embarrassed to say on a Sunday morning. You can read the story. In other words, we're going to come in. The messengers are speaking to Hezekiah because he's the leader of the of southern part of Israel. We're going to come in. We're going to trample you. We're going to absolutely ravage your women, your children, your treasures, everything. And then they, they go on to say some things like, wow, is that in the Bible? You can read it. Now I know you've got, you've got your interest. Everybody's going to be over in Second Chronicles this afternoon. Just some awful things, just brutal. So in that moment, here's the foxhole moment for Hezekiah. It's, it's like in our day, terrorists closing in on Sarasota. So he, he phones a buddy. You may recognize his name, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, because he was a contemporary of Hezekiah. And he's like, oh, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna trample us. And so Hezekiah and Isaiah, they cry. So tears are rolling down their face. God, please. Help us out of this. This is awful. We're going to get trampled. We've already seen it's happening to the northern part of our country. They're all gone. They're going to do the same thing. Please, God, help us. With one angel, in one evening, God took out the Assyrian army. And when they woke up, there were 185,000 dead Assyrian soldiers. I'm going to take God on my side. I just let, let's just say that that the God of this universe says it's not a problem. I've got this army. I know you're nervous. I have heard your prayer, so God answered that prayer in a miraculous way. Now, following that, when Hezekiah got older, he got sick, and 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 God gave him the 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 prognosis and said, "You're going to die from this." And so, same thing, foxhole moment. Hezekiah were told. Turn to the wall. That means he's just absolutely engrossed in this condition. And again, tears rolling down his face. Please, God, I'm sick. I, I'm going to die. And as if God didn't know when we we're crying out to him, I'm going to die. And I don't want to die. And I'm too young to die. I don't want to die right now. And God said, okay, settle down. I'll give you 15 more years. What a gift. What a gift. 
Not only what a gift, but what a capacity for God to say, hey, I can wipe out an army, one, one angel, one evening. What else do you need? And then he says, I, got, I know you got th- whatever this condition is, and I, I, I can take care of that. In fact, I'm going to give you 15 years, and I'll give you the gift to know when you're going to die at 15 years. I mean, just think about that. If I said to you people right now, you got 15 years exactly to live, it would scare me as to what you might do in 15 years. But, uh, well, another day for another story. Hezekiah said, okay, got the message. I'm going to live 15 more years. I'm going to need a little proof. I'm like, when you read the Bible, I'm like, really? I mean, he took out a whole army. Was that not proof enough? I don't know. Did you need a carbon copy of that? I mean, an extra email, you know, uh, why do you need proof? But God said, hey, okay, I know you're human. And I, I, so I'm going to answer that prayer. So I've answered the prayer of this army against you. I've answered the prayer of your health. And now you're crying out for, you know, a sign. So God said, I'll tell you what, I give you a choice. You pick A or B, Hezekiah. I can move the sun forward, time forward, or move it backwards. And so Hezekiah literally says, you know, I would think it would be harder to move time backwards. And so I'll pick that. I, I'd like to see this, the time move backwards. And God said, okay, no problem. I created the universe. I put the sun up there. So that's not a problem for God. You know, for us, it'd be impossible. Any, any scientists in the room, can you move the sun? God's like, nope. A whole Assyrian army. No problem. God moves quick. God moves big. So he moved the sun back where the sundial moved back 10 degrees. What a God. Not only that, but Hezekiah, upon all these answered prayers of slain armies and health, extra years of life given and proof and signs in, in heavens that the sun, God said, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to heap on the blessing to you. Watch this. Second Chronicles 32 verse 27. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made treasuries for his silver and his gold, his precious stones, his spices. I mean, he had cinnamon and nutmeg and all the, the, the spices you didn't, that, that weren't, you know, widespread that day, shields and all kinds of valuables. He had iPods and iPads and iMacs and i everything. He also made buildings to store the harvest of grain, new wine and oil. He he made stalls for a lot of different kinds of cattle and pens for the flocks. He built villages. He acquired great numbers of flocks and herds. How did you get all that stuff, Hezekiah? For God had given him very great riches. It all came from God. There's God at it again. He succeeded, Hezekiah succeeded in everything he undertook. All right, here we go. I'm going to propose to you that the most dangerous times in our lives are the times where we are most successful through the lenses of the world. Long life, lots of riches, lots of stuff, feeling good, pretty secure, all the insurance, all the warranties, all the guarantees, and everything is comfortable. You see, Hezekiah thought the most dangerous moment in his life was when he had this army that was facing down and uh, on his country and was was getting ready to close in. That wasn't the most dangerous time of his life because, see, that time of his life, like us, are the times where we pray most intensely. The times where we have the most passion, where we're getting closer to God. I've seen a million times as a pastor where someone is just, they're right on the edge of the brink of financial ruin or they're going to lose a job, they're going to lose a relationship or they're getting ready to go through a divorce or they just have gone through a divorce or they're grieving over someone who they just lost, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, in those moments, it's their best spiritual moments. 
That's not when it scares me with people. It scares us, scares me with people, me included, is when things are going fantastic. And so in this moment, I'm reminded of these words by a very well-known Christian thinker, G.K. Chesterton. He said this, when it comes to life, the critical thing, that critical moment is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. Because of where we live in the world, the United States of America, we truly underestimate how blessed we are. I'm assuming most of us have shoes on today. Something that we just take for granted, that people have shoes. Uh, we have clothes on our back. We have most, Many of us have cars in the parking lot. You know what I mean. I mean, I could keep going on and on and on. That doesn't mean that's bad. I'm just saying these are moments because of where we live that we, we live in the most, one of the most dangerous longitude and latitude spots in the world because of the goodness that we experience all the time. See, Hezekiah was at a tipping place. He had all these things and, and, and he was at this place where he could have said, man, I, I, I keep my head on straight. I've, I, 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 I've got to, you know, all these things are from God and he saved me and he you know, got the army off my back and all these things. And so it's a tipping point right here. Or he could have, so he could have said, man, I'm going to be thankful for it. I'm going to keep connected with the same kind of energy. Or he could have taken them for granted. All these things are worse. There's a worse option. You know what the worst option is? Not just taking things for granted, but taking credit for these things. Now you're into wowza land. <laughs> you know, because we're human beings. And we have Adam's nature that is like lint on a black pair of pants. That we wish we could just totally be eradicated from it. Christ gives us victory over it, and yet it's still in the mix, is it not? You might remember when we first started all these conversations on humility, we, I said to you that we're going to talk about some of the more subtle areas of humility. There are times when someone, if someone brags about all that they got, we're like, okay, that's a no-brainer. You, you, got, you got a little bit too many ounces of pride and you got to work on humility. That's, that's kind of easy. These are the more subtle areas of humility. The areas that creep up on us that we're not even aware of at times. You see, Hezekiah was right there where everything, I mean, he, he, he became that guy. He, he had the it factor. And in that moment, the subtlety of what happened here was, was critical for us to learn. Watch. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25. Here it is. Here it is. I told someone this morning, I've, I've had this verse in my mind and heart for years. It's subtle, but profound. Watch. After all these things, but Hezekiah's heart was proud. That's the antithesis of humility. And he did not make return according to the benefit done to him. In other words, it was the eight-hour prep of Thanksgiving, the 17-minute chow down. It was the 45-minute wait in the Disney line. It was a two-and-a-half-minute ride. It, it wasn't equal. In other words, 
His return of thanks, his return to God, his response to God was not equal according to the benefit that he had been given. In other words, what's being indicated here is after the army got slain of 185,000 soldiers by one night, by one angel in one evening, there wasn't Isaiah, there's no mention of Isaiah and Hezekiah with tears rolling down their face and going, thank you God. It was unequal. Thank you, God, for all the things you've given to me. Thank you, God. There was not that equal energy that Hezekiah was expressing to God. So God had to say, okay, I've got to recalibrate here, and I've got to test some things out. I've got to test out the more subtle corners of your heart. God does that at times, not only to show him where we're at, but to show ourselves where we're at. Sometimes we need a spiritual mirror. So here's what happens. Back to the map. We're going to do a little history. Back to the history lesson here. There was a little startup country, 700 BC. We're about here in the timeline. You might have recognized their name. They're called Babylon. Truly, they were just getting started. They weren't. A, they weren't a major empire at this point like Assyria. And they came knocking on Jerusalem's door. They said, oh, we've heard so much about good King Hezekiah. Of all the good things that have happened to him. Now, they didn't come with weapons. They came with spies. An envoy, it's called. They came with spies. They didn't come with weapons. You know what they came with? Something far more dangerous than weapons. They came with flattery flattery now let me just stop for a second and remind us that our enemy is far more shrewd than we give him credit for he understood that if he had sent Babylon with a major army. There goes, there goes Hezekiah on his knees again. Man, he's going to be close to God. No, let me, let me fight this from a different angle. I'm going to fight it from the humility angle, from the pride angle. And so I'm going to send these guys down. Because see, the Babylonians, when you read them about in history, they loved astrology. They loved astrology. And like, wow, Hezekiah, I, I've heard that, that, the divine being of the universe moved the sun for you. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> he sure did. I've heard that that, that in, in Babylon, Babylon they, they had what we would call medicine men. Like, oh, man, Hezekiah. I heard that your health was restored and you were to the point of death. And God, you must have this. You must, you must be doing something right. Oh, yes, I am. Man, he's given you 50 more years. Yes, he did. I heard about men were, were, were building a military and, and were intrigued by 185,000 soldiers in one night. I mean, it spread all around. Man, you must be good. I mean, you must be very... Yes, I am. You see, there's no mention here of God. Now, watch what happens. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25. Uh, 32, verse 31. But when the envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign and the other things that had occurred in the land. Watch. God left Hezekiah to test him, to know everything that is, was in his heart. 
See, God is saying, I've got to get down to the more subtleness of your heart. I want to really find out what your true deep motive is. And if I find that out, because if, if you're in tune, we're, we pray, search me, O God, then he wants us to find out so that that tipping can go back in the right direction. Now, if we close God out, then we're just going to keep tipping and tipping and tipping. And so when we look at this, what happens is that Hezekiah, he says, man, let me show you everything that's happened. Watch this. Second Kings chapter 20, verse 13. Hezekiah received the messengers. In the old King James, it says he hearkened to them. Like, come on in, boys. Let me, let me just uh, give you an idea of what's been going on in my life recently. So as the spies with flattery showed up, Hezekiah kept showing off. And he kept showing off on all ends of what God had given to him. Watch. Hezekiah received the messenger. And he showed them all that was in his storehouses. The silver, the gold, the the, the cumin, the, the spices, the cinnamon, the nutmegs. Hey, I bet you guys don't have this over here. Look how much we got over here. And the fine oil. He showed them all the weapons. Way to go, man. Good idea. And everything found among his treasures. It's kind of like those shows. They, they say, hey, we've got some weaknesses of security in the airport. And here they are. I'm like, shut up. You know, quit telling people where our weaknesses are. Do you ever feel that way? That's when I feel like, hey, come on in. Let me take you into the inner room of the CIA. Here's how it all works. He lost his mind because his pride got the best of him. And he said, look at all I've got. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. You see, as he was showing him, he took this fist and he put it right there. I'll remind you that it was good King Hezekiah. Here's what I mean. You see, Hezekiah truly had a heart for God. We're all going to step off the line. Good grief, I could list 14,000 moments in my life where I've done something more stupid than that. But the trick is to be in tune with God enough to know it. See, Hezekiah, something happened. We're not even told what happened here. But God showed him his heart and showed him these, these, these little subtle places in his heart. And this is where... This is what we learn from Hezekiah today. We learn to be sensitive enough to God that we say, God, you know, search me. I really want to know. And God must have communicated, dude, you've, you've tipped the wrong way. Because there's nowhere in here where he's showing the whole land and all the weapons and everything in the temple. There's nothing in here that mentions the, the name of God. That God gave me all this, you guys. That God healed me. That God moved the sun. That God conquered the army. That it was all God. It was nothing me. There's nothing in that, in, in the whole story right in this moment that, that indicates to us that, that he humbled himself and he yielded to the reputation of the guy who did it, the, the God who did it all. And as we are with leaders, as the leader goes, the people go. And so it began to flow to the people and they began to get boastful and then the tipping point it came back where god must have revealed something watch this second chronicles 32:26 then hezekiah repented 
of the pride of his heart. See, this was not an issue of thanksgiving. It was, the, it was a, a, an issue of the humility of thanksgiving. See? So he repented of the pride of his heart. Watch. As did the people of Jerusalem. See, they got caught up in it too. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come upon uh, them during the days of Hezekiah. So you remember the story of uh, Jesus when ten lepers came to him? Let's, let's just put this right up in our backyard. Now, leprosy is not something that we experience, obviously, here in the States very often. But leprosy, I don't know how much you know about it, but it's, it's awful. It's, there's, a, there's a rotting of flesh and there's a stench. I, I won't go further because it's just awful. And that, that person is, in, in so many cultures, marginalized. They become ousted by everybody else. So it's not only the, the physical pain and the, and, the, and the awfulness that comes with it, but it's the emotional and the relational and the social marginalizing that just is just crushing. You see, in Jesus' day, nobody not only touched a leper, but got close to a leper. Nobody wanted to even be in the proximity. In fact, they were, they were, they were commanded to be on the outside, not on the inside. You see, Christ came along and he flipped things. And he, fl- and that's good news for us because he flipped a lot of things for us. He flipped things. Not only did he get close to lepers, but he touched them. He actually touched them. Man, there are moments in history that I would just love to be there. I mean, can you imagine that you've grown up, don't touch this kind of person, and Christ, he's getting closer. He's like, he's getting closer. He's getting closer. The eagle is close. The eagle is close. You know, something. He's touched him, buying, buying. All the meters, are just, the needles are falling off. He's touched the leper. And there, were, there was a moment where there were ten of them, and they were all healed. Can you imagine the days and weeks and months and years of agonizing prayer from these lepers? Oh, God, I'm alone. Nobody wants to touch me or talk to me. Or invite me to their house. God, can you hear me? And then they wake up the next day with leprosy. And they couldn't heal themselves. And there was no medicine man that could have taken care of it. There was no religion that could have cured this. And then Jesus comes along. And on so many levels, he liberates them. Liberates them. And only one came back. But this one came back. Oh, he came back with commensurate energy and thanksgiving. Watch. Luke 17, verse 15. One of these healed lepers, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a monastery-like chant. Thank you, Amen. He came back praising God with haiku. He came back praising God with a loud voice. Woo! That's okay to do in church once in a while. I had a lady that did it three times during the first service, so feel free. (laughs) That was all right. Yeah, you got more than that. That's what I'm talking about. And some people are like, that's a little embarrassing. Well, do it on the inside. This is what it looks like when you do it on the inside. That's okay. 
The person next to you is not having a heart attack. They're just having internal praise going on. It's all right. Watch this. You see, many days I'm guessing that this guy laid face down in front of God. Oh, God, I can't take it anymore. So I was commensurate for him to have the humility of mind and heart. When he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. Of course he did. This is what we're being taught by Hezekiah and by a leper who was healed. And he was a Samaritan, by the way. He was on the naughty list, not the nice. And Jesus asked, hey, dude, what's up? Weren't all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was there no one to re- found to return and give praise except this foreigner? You see, the expectation on God's part. But see, this guy, he got it. Because he understood what foxhole Thanksgiving is like. I have a friend. He's a great musician. I've known him for 14 years. I asked him if I could share his story this morning. He said, he gave me the okay. I've been at the other end of the phone at 2 a.m. on many occasions. He has struggled tremendously with alcohol addiction. Tremendously. And has hit rock bottom in very intense ways. Back in the middle of the summer, there was another an, uh, another intersection. And I and it truly was one one thread away from death. As I had him many times before, I'm how about now? Can we get some help now? And humility led him to the Salvation Army over at 10th and Central. And he's He's been there for four months, clean and sober. And uh, Thursday night, my wife and my son and I, we went over to for his graduation. And uh, sitting in front of me was his family, and sitting behind me in the row behind me was his small group, was his act group here at 316. It was one of the greatest church services I have ever been to in over 30 years as a Christian. I'll tell you why. There was so much thanksgiving. You see, in the place of a foxhole, there's a lot of thanks. They have sections there at the Sally, the Salvation Army, D1, D2, D3, different sections. And whenever this person, there were eight graduates on Thursday night, they would stand up the whole room, (laughs) the whole room, just stand and cheer, way to go, (laughs) way to go, and each one of them would go through a list of their family and friends moving, dad, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, man, I've taken you through this, and I thank you for walking through with me, I thank you for walking through with me. 
And then they would say, and I think the, the guys at D3, that would be like their little, little tribe within, I think they, and they would all, D3! And they would all yell it out together. And I was moved by the humility of thankfulness. I was moved by the, the fact that there was so transparent and authentic. I was just moved that, that in this moment, these men and women we're so deeply thankful that it was commensurate. There was no holding back. It was such a beautiful thing. You see, when I think about Christ touching that leper and the one that, those lepers and the one that came back. In the Bible, leprosy is, is a picture of sin. We can't get over it ourselves. There's no medicine man, there's no medicine that can help us over it. There's no religion that can clean our soul. You see, there's only one solution. Thank God, I'm glad there's not a lot. There's only one solution that the, that the God of this universe offers to us. And that is to give His Son as a perfect Lamb of God, for the, as the Savior of the world, to shed the pure and innocent blood of His Son to wash us of all of our sin. You see, the debt that, we, the, the debt that we've had, the, the, the record against us, the, the demand against us, the death against us, Christ came and He flipped it, as did these lepers. He flipped it, and now we live under the shadow of grace. The challenge that we face is that we sing about it, and we talk about it, and we pray about it, and for those of us that have been in it for years, we can take the most valuable thing and take it for granted, can we not? Hezekiah teaches us, don't let a tip in your life. Be grateful. Jesus said, those who are forgiven much will love much, will thank for much. And so all you have to do is say, I was a leper. I was trapped. All the things we could be thankful for. The greatest thing is to be thankful that we were headed for a death and eternity away from God. And Christ flipped it and healed us of our leprosy. In Colossians chapter 2, Christ forgave us all our sins. All our sins. I've told you before, when I came to Christ, I thought I'd done a few things that were just past the boundary of all. And there is no boundary beyond all. All includes everything. Christ forgave us all our sins, having canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its regulations, that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Oh, we got so much to be thankful for, do we not? One of the greatest books on humility was written by a guy named C.J. Mahaney. He wrote these words, Only those who are aware of God's wrath are amazed by God's grace. See, when I read in the book of John, 1 John chapter 3, how great is the love that the Father has lavished. <laughs> this is, this pales in comparison to everything that Hezekiah had. That the God of this universe has lavished on us that we, I would have, if I were writing, I would go, we, comma, of all people, comma, be called, comma, of all things, comma, children of God. And that is what we are. 
Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Some segments of, of Christianity called the Eucharist. It comes from the Greek word Eucharisteo. And that word literally means in Greek, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So as we come together and we're, we're, we're going to remind ourselves of the, of the shadow of grace, the shadow of forgiveness, that we should, in a commensurate way, come back to God with, with equal thanksgiving for such a gift. In fact, Psalm 116 says it this way, How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will remember. I will remember. I will remember. Let me, let me close with this thought. I'm doing a lot of study. I have been for about nine months on tribes around the globe. Because we're going to launch into a, a collection at the first of the year called Tribal. And there's so much to learn from tribes around the world. How they forgive each other. How they hang in with one another. How they serve one another. Somebody carries the wood. Somebody gets the water. Somebody forges for food. Their, their sense of serving and community. Just great things to learn about tribes that we can apply to our life. So I'm reading about this, this tribe in Africa. And if I'm going over to... Todd's house. And I'm going to, I have something to thank him for. I just don't go and I, I ring the doorbell or knock on the, the door of the hut or wh- whatever they, what structures they live in. I just don't go over there and say, hey, I really thank you for that. And I certainly don't shoot an email or a quick text. Hey, thanks, thanks, buddy. I actually go over to, to Todd's hut or Todd's home and I sit. I sit outside his his home for an extended period of time not saying anything because I want him to understand that I have absorbed the benefit that he gave me. Maybe he brought me some extra firewood. And I'm not going to make this quick. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to sit out there in silence. He's going to look through the window like, oh, there's Steve. He's sitting in silence. He knows what that means in this tribe. He knows that Steve's really deeply thankful for something. And I sit there and I sit there and I sit there. And then I go in. I say, thank you. Isn't that beautiful? Thanksgiving takes time. See, what we're doing today is we're sitting with the disciples. It's a time to meditate. And in your heart, sit and say, wow. Lavished, lavished, children of God, that we, that all sins are nailed to the cross. So many things in your heart. One final quote from one of my favorite pastors in the U.S., John Ortberg. He says, gratitude liberates us from the prison of self-occupation. Would you pray with me, Father? We're grateful, God. So deeply grateful, beyond words, that we just would like to sit in silence before you. It takes humility to slow down, God. It takes humility not just to take the benefit and run with the benefit and live with the benefit and not take the benefit for granted.
Father, we are creatures that can easily tip, are we not? So today, God, we tip it back towards thanksgiving. Today, God, we want to be a room full of that, that one leper, that, uh, the heart of that one leper that came back and threw himself at your feet, Jesus. Because I'm sure that he had thrown himself at your feet many days. God, all of us have received benefit from you. We could truly each take turns coming up and, and, and articulating all that, God. But all of us have in common this, this one critical ingredient of our life, God, that we were sinners. Christ came and died. Today, God, we sit at your table. And in gratitude, Father, we offer ourselves to you in thanksgiving. That we give you thanks according to this benefit, God. And we will not be silent with, our, with the story of how you've intervened in our lives. And so as we come, Father, tip our hearts towards thanksgiving. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our healer and savior. Amen.